Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for this podcast episode, sponsored in part by Chewy and Hills, where we're joined by veterinary dermatologist Dr. Charlie Dong to discuss what else but dermatology. In this episode, we cover the multimodal approaches to managing dermatology cases, in particular, atopy. We talk about the importance of client communications and setting expectations and some of the common challenges encountered when managing dermatological issues. And of course, the important role that nutrition plays in these cases. If you've not heard Dr. Dong speak before, you're in for a treat. She's so knowledgeable, but also so practical and just very realistic in her approach to different cases. Let me tell you a little bit more about her and then we'll get into our talk. Dr. Dong earned her DVM from Western University of Health Sciences and completed her residency at Animal Dermatology Clinic in Pasadena, where she currently works. Her special interests include atopic dermatitis, dermoscopy, and video otoscopy. And currently, her main research interest is on atopic dermatitis, focusing on developing new diagnostic tests, new therapies, and the understanding of atopic dermatitis. Dr. Dong lectures nationally and internationally, sharing her passion for dermatology with veterinarians. She trains residents, is a clinical preceptor for veterinary students, an instructor for the European School of Advanced Veterinary Studies, and serves as a chairperson on the American College of Veterinary Dermatology exam committee. She's also authored and contributed to many publications. We are thrilled to have you guys joining us for this episode. Let's go ahead and jump into it. Thank you, Cassie, for the introduction. Oh, my pleasure. We're so happy to have you joining us today. Thank you, Charlie. Here to talk about derm cases and managing derm patients. Thank you for having me. So this first question, I feel like I have my my own version of the answer to this question, but (laughs) derm patients, they can just be really challenging patients to manage in general. What do you find is the single most difficult part about managing dermatology patients and how do you deal with it? Well, Cassie, there are many things hard about dermatology, but if I had to choose one thing, I would say communication. We use a multimodal approach that's a huge checklist for clients to absorb, remember, and implement in their short appointment. It can be very overwhelming. Setting expectation and communication is very important to establish. I find it best to communicate the overall or long-term goals and then setting many accomplishments in between with timeframes of when the goals should be met. For example, let's say a dog comes in to see you with allergies and bacterial pyoderma. We discussed that the long-term goal is yet your dog has allergies and we want to start immunotherapy to teach the immune system to not have an inappropriate immune response. But then we also discussed with the owner a short-term plan of managing the bacterial infection with antibiotics, antiseptic bathing, maybe an antiseptic topical mousse or pads, and anti-itch medication. I also set up the expectation that your dog should feel relief in one to three days and that the skin will be noticeably better in three to five days and the infection may be resolved in two weeks and in one month we will recheck and assess leftover itch. I also tell them what to what is wrong with the plan. For example, if Bella gets papules, erythema or becomes more pruritic, despite doing all the therapies, 
and following the protocol, then the owner is to call me. It means that something is wrong. This way we can troubleshoot before their next appointment so time isn't wasted. Another example is when clients come to see me for like pseudomonas or chronic otitis, and we plan for a video otoscopy procedure to resolve the current infections. Then I also set up the expectations that they will come back to see me in one week, two weeks, four weeks, and then every three to six months, if all goes well, so that they have an expectation of when recheck should be and what to look for. I love it. So client communication and setting expectations. Mm -hmm. And another important question to ask owners is if they plan to go on trips or if they're going out of town, I found that communication is also really important. There are sometimes clients that come see me and with a dog or cat with a raging ear infection. And then they're like, oh yeah. And then we're going on vacation tomorrow. So that's really important. (laughs) That's really important because then that changes your plan and their expectation. They're like, you're no, there's no way you can fix the ear infection in two weeks while they're gone. Absolutely. And then another important communication is detailed explanations on how to do something and the reasoning. So I actually see a lot of patients that come in with, oh yeah, we've been doing ear cleaning for years and years, but I'm surprised they've actually never been taught. So if their idea of ear cleaning is just like wiping the ear flat because they've been sent home with bottles of ear cleaner, but they don't actually know how to use it. Yes. I've been guilty of that myself where you know, you get kind of caught up with things and okay, well then I want you to clean the ears at home and they come back for these rechecks and you're like, are you cleaning the ears? Yeah. And then, then when, which I realize is far too late, it's okay. So tell me about that. Oh, okay. So we have to go back and, and tell you how to do this. Cause we didn't explain it well the first time. So I know I've definitely been guilty of that and managing my own patients. <laughs> A helpful tip is actually timing. So when I send home an ear cleaner and we're at the maintenance time frame or when we're addressing an ear infection for the very first time, I tell clients to clean out the ears the night before the exam and then don't apply anything the morning of the exam. This way I can judge them on how they're cleaning their ear. Of course, I tell uh, them I'm not judging them, but sure. it's just for me to <laughs> but uh, that know if it's judging. Of, yeah, how are yeah. you doing here? <laughs> Or maybe I'm like, oh, this is not a good ear hit. Or maybe I'm saying, hey, you know, when you flush the ears, you have to do it two to three times, not just once. Absolutely. So I I love that, you know, setting expectations, clear communication, and making sure that when you ask clients to do something that they, that we're showing them what it is exactly that we want them to do. So We know that research says food allergies are far less common than, say, atopic dermatitis or atopy. Do you still find that you have pet parents coming in and they're expecting a diagnosis of food allergy? And if that's the case, how do you talk to people about that and kind of dispel that myth and get them on board with doing a more complete workup for their pet? I don't think most clients expect it but they want it. They want it to be food allergy or they're hoping that there's a food or a food-like supplement that will be the cure. So a lot of clients come in bringing lots of supplements with them and claiming a friend told them it's amazing and works really well, 
Sometimes they are using the right supplements though, but there's a user error, like they're not giving it consistently or there's an inappropriate amount. And I also kind of burst their bubble by saying that that one supplement is probably not going to be the end all be all for their furry friend alone. That one supplement probably isn't going to do a whole lot. We need to use a multimodal approach. So I try to incorporate what they want, which is the supplement that they brought. Uh, but knowing that it's probably all the other things that are more helpful. Sure. So kind of validating their, you know, what they're wanting to do to, to take care of their pet while still getting that multimodal approach on board. Yep. Mm-hmm. Another common presentation is someone comes in, and I'm sure you've had this experience as well, where they bring a hair or a saliva food allergy test. And there's actually a lot of human and veterinary studies that dispel the myths about hair and saliva tests out there. And actually some, it goes down to even 1987, there was a study for fish allergies in humans that they tried to use a hair analysis, but the results varied. And of course, year after year, we tried to assess the clinical accuracy because it would be so much easier if we could just pluck some hairs or swab some saliva and figure out food allergies. But it's been debunked in human medicine as well. And in fact, in 2014, 2015, in human studies, they've published and saying that it leads to a lot of misdiagnosis. So most clients, when you explain how the diet trial works and that it is not a treatment, it's just a test and they do all the work. They understand and whether or not they follow through with your suggestion for the diet trial really depends on you, the veterinarian, picking the right clients to be able to complete a successful diet trial. Sure. Making sure you have somebody who's going to, who's going to be committed and, um, and make sure that's the only food that their pet is getting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I feel like dermatology cases can get frustrating you know, if we're not getting good answers or maybe you know, compliance or whatever it is. But when you're talking to general practitioners about dermatology cases, what are two or three of the most common things that you find they're frustrated with when it comes to managing these derm cases? And what kind of things do you tell them? I would say the number one thing I get asked about the most is chronic ear infections. Oh my and gosh. Yes. <laughs> most practitioners are very worried about the eardrum. They feel if it's not intact, they ask, what can we put in the ears? And the thing is, the truth is with eardrums, it's not impermeable. It's not a steel wall. It is permeable. Think of it more like a sheet. So things can still get past it. And even if something was supposed to not be ototoxic, sometimes it still does for each patient. So the important thing is to not have that fear. <laughs> you just have to warn the client, anything can be ototoxic, but it's you're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. You need to treat the ear. You, you can't let that fear of the eardrum not being intact to prevent you from starting any medication. So have no fear, go for it, treat that ear. I love that. That was the permission that I needed um, to, to be cautious and, and still make good decisions. But um, yeah, like you said, to get something on board. I mean, sometimes I feel like I'm talking to people about these ears and I'm going, yeah, there's a risk that we could cause some ototoxicity, but if we don't treat the ear infection, then they might go deaf anyway. Mm -hmm. And 
again, it comes back to communication. Communication is most ex important in setting up expectation. Another thing to remember for clinicians, and I think it's really important, is that you may not be able to help every case. You need to put some responsibility on the owner. And also, if you're stuck and you don't know the answer, it's okay to refer for a second opinion. I do it too. For the skin, everything kind of looks the same. There can be a plethora of insults, but there's only 13 different responses. So many diseases are what we call the great pretenders because they all look alike. So it can be really frustrating. For example, pemphigus foliaceus and cutaneous lymphoma often get mistaken for atopic dermatitis, as well as dermatophytosis can also be mistaken for atopic dermatitis. So it's okay to be frustrated or puzzled. Sometimes it takes time for the disease to reveal itself and it's never wrong to biopsy. If you think, ooh, that might be a lot. Well, at the very least, you can use that test to rule out your differentials. No kidding. There, you said, I feel like I learned so much from what you, from just that, that short explanation that things can mirror each other. And you said there's 13 different responses. Yeah. Give or take. So there's everything kind of looks the same. It really depends on when you meet the disease. Sometimes you meet it at the very beginning where it doesn't reveal itself. For example, let's say a pustule. It can be the start of a bacterial infection, or it could be pemphigus foliaceous. You would have to see with the microscope slide. But let's say you meet a disease at the tail end and you only see crusting or scaling. Maybe the bacterial pyoderma has already healed, but the owner asks you, well, what is this? You can only tell them, well, I think there was a bacterial infection, but now it's healed. So it's not all in my head that when I feel like things look the same, <laughs> it's not in your head. It really all right. is. Yes. <laughs> this is such a validating talk. I'm loving this. <laughs> That's great. Um, so for many dermatology cases, kind of like we talked about before, and especially for atopy, drug intervention is part of our multimodal therapy approach that, that we've been talking about. What about nutrition? Where and when does nutrition play a role in your multimodal approach? Nutrition always plays a role. I mean, we always need nutrition for our bodies. You and I do, so do our pets. So nutrition plays a big role. Nutrition provides the building blocks for the skin and the immune system. Without these basic tools and materials, the skin will be imbalanced and can't function properly. Skin cells are called keratinocytes because they are made out of protein called keratin. The body needs proteins to make these keratin. And the outer layer of the skin is made out of a cornified cell envelope, which are skin cells that are suspended in a gel that are made up of fats. It's kind of like a brick and mortar appearance. So the bricks are the skin cells and the mortar is that fatty layer. And the fat not only keeps moisture locked in, but it also has antimicrobial effects. And then, of course, the regular nutrition we need are like vitamin E for antioxidant effects, zinc for enzyme cascades to work properly, or iodine for proper thyroid function for the metabolism of the body, including the skin. What's really exciting is that there is new research and technology in nutrition. It isn't just about the core nutrients anymore, but what we can do to enhance the food so the patients get the best out of our nutrients. 
There are bioactives and phytonutrients that influence or decrease mast cell cytokines, which is what causes the inflammation in atopic dermatitis. So this new technology can be found in Hill's Derm Complete Diet. Interesting. So using nutrition, not only in terms of food trials and treating food allergies, but just to enhance the skin's overall function. Exactly. The only thing is with owners is they have to understand, again, nutrition is only one player in the treatment of allergies. So alone, it's probably not going to do a whole lot unless your dog is like strictly cutaneous adverse food reaction, which isn't that common. Gotcha. So again, the emphasis on that multimodal approach. Exactly. Okay. This next question, it just makes me chuckle a little bit thinking about it. But what is one thing that you feel like pet parents commonly do that interferes with your ability to diagnose or treat their itchy pet? And then how do you communicate that with them to kind of get everybody back on the same team and working towards a resolution for their pet? That is a great question, Cassie. And I'm (laughs) sure we all struggle with this. And the number one thing is not rechecking when the patients are doing well. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we never get past the infection stage to discuss the maintenance plan. So every time the infection resolves, the owner doesn't come back to recheck and only return when they relapse. So we're then stuck with going back to square one and they complain, well, I feel like we're doing the same thing over and over again. And my response to them is we are, we're just treating the infection, you leave, and then we see this again. So I tell clients that most of the time, if you can invest at least two to four timely rechecks, then they can avoid coming to see me for maybe six months to even a year. And that would actually help their overall costs and also their number of times they have to come to the veterinary office. Some diseases such as atopic dermatitis is diagnosed by the process of elimination. So I need to know how the patients are doing when they're taking or not taking certain medications. And then this also allows me, if I know the patient, to fill the appropriate number of refills. So even if they miss their appointment, it's okay because I feel like I can trust them to refill their medication and keep their pet comfortable. Absolutely. And kind of can put it back in their hands a little bit. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, it's their decision. They have to decide what is best for them and their pets. And I've actually had owners flat out tell me, hey, I actually need monthly rechecks. Otherwise, I cannot stay on top of my pet management. (laughs) I love the honesty. Yeah, that is their prerogative. Um, but, but I like what you said there that ultimately it's their decision and it comes back to them. Cause I think that goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where, you know, what are some of the things that, you know, when you talk to general practitioners, you find they're frustrated about and that, that you can't help every case because some of it really does come down to what the owners want and what they're willing to do. Yes, exactly. Very good. Very good. So we've talked a couple of times about this multimodal approach, but when an itchy dog comes in, we don't have a diagnosis yet. What's kind of your process? And then how do you explain that to the owners to get them on board so we can start moving forward? I just simply explain my thought process starting from the history For the most part, I let the owner voice their concerns or their thoughts first because they're pretty anxious to see me by the time they see me, especially with the pandemic, they've had to wait more than a month. 
So they had their own ideas about what the diagnosis and how they want to approach things. So during the history, I discuss with them what fits into what they think the diagnosis is and what doesn't and how we can approach to work as a team to treat their pet. And then during the exam, I showed them what I am looking at and the reason why it is a concern or not a concern. Of course, during the pandemic, I had to describe what I see or take pictures. But generally, if you give concrete answers, people will respect your answer. And as a dermatologist, many of my tests are point of care tests. So I get results right away. And they also have a visual and understanding of the purpose of the test. It's a little bit easier for me than say an internist, I feel. <laughs> and lastly, for treatment, we explained the reasons for each therapy and more importantly, how to apply each product or administer the medication. Most of the time, it is better to give clients very specific instructions. So for example, the one I run into the most is giving a medication three times a day. Some people think they need to get up in the middle of the night. And if you don't explain this ahead of time, they're <laughs> either not going to do it or they're going to be very stressed out by the time they see you next. So I usually literally write down the times they need to give the medication to work for their schedule. That is smart. I've definitely had the sleep deprived owner come in and ask me, can I please stop waking up at three o'clock in the morning? And I felt so bad because I'm like, I'm sorry, I should have been more specific. Uh, yeah, you've been there too. <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Charlie, this has been great. I mean, I feel like this talk has been super educational, very validating to myself as a general practitioner. Are there any final thoughts you'd like to share with us? I'm very glad it helps me as well to know that I can help even one or two vets out there. My final thoughts is that just do the very best you can every day and it will all work out. Luckily, the skin is a very forgiving organ. And if you ever need help, I'm a phone call away. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much again for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun. Dr. Dong, thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure to have you. Thank you to Hills and Chewy for sponsoring this episode. And thank you to all of you listeners for joining us. If you'd like to find more episodes like this, click on the education tab on Vetfolio's webpage. As always, we'd love to hear your input on this session, as well as ideas for topics you'd like to hear from us in the future. Feel free to reach out to me at dvm at vetfolio.com. You can also visit my Facebook page at Dr. Cassie DVM, and you can find me on LinkedIn. And remember, if one animal is better off because of you today, it's a great day.